You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the Blog to Watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, this is Ariel Adams with the Superlative Podcast, and I am joined by a special guest today, Mr. Matt Farah. Matt is the founder of The Smoking Tire, and a lot of their content is on YouTube and, of course, Instagram. Matt, welcome. How you doing? Thanks for having me. So your name comes up a lot, and I wanted to sort of give you a little bit of honor right now because you are a popular car reviewer and personality in that space, but you also have a fondness for timepieces. And people get excited when you sort of like mention watches and stuff like that within the sort of car content you do. And we know that just globally car content gets, you know, a few more eyeballs um, than watches. You've been very, very successful in, in what you've done. And I think you probably introduced watches to people that may have not known that they're a thing. Um, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you is tell me a little bit about when you realized that there was so much crossover between watches and cars like this. This crossover was like a thing. Uh, well, I always understood the the crossover. Um, you know, obviously the connections to racing historically uh, via sponsorships of either racers, race teams, or races. Um, uh, you know, back in the day in the '60s, uh, you go back to Formula One, and before there was any kind of official timekeeping. You know, it's kind of laughable to think about that. You know, literally the wives and girlfriends of the drivers would be using these, you know, Hoyer and stopwatches, uh, eventually wristwatches to, to time, uh, laps and qualifying. And it was all done in a very amateurish way. Um, you know, jump forward to a more current, uh, comparison. And I think that in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, a watch, uh, a, you, you know, you can, it's, it's for a man anyway. Uh, and, and, I'm sure women would appreciate some of these qualities, but for a man, um, you know, there's not a lot of like jewelry that, that really men, uh, wear, you know, your standard kind of guy, but, but, but a watch is something that, that you can wear and, and appreciate it for all kinds of different reasons. It does serve a function, you know, and it also serves as a, as a symbol of status and a symbol of, of fashion. And I think it's okay to to want you know any of those things you know if women can wear diamonds and stuff like that or or certain you know more uh, outlandishly and uh, not outlandish in a, in a negatively way but you know extroverted men can wear all kinds of jewelry then then why you know what's wrong with uh, with a watch um, but the kind of people who buy nice watches and the kind of people who buy nice cars are are pretty much the same folks. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, you know, one of the interesting psychological elements for me is that we are not like allowed to talk about that. You and I would would look silly if we sat in a conversation talking about watches as jewelry. But if we talk about them like a tool and discuss yeah. performance, all of a sudden we are we are cultured and sort of the same thing with cars. And <laughs> right. Now, nobody wants to be like, yeah, I bought this Lambo because of like how I look in it. Nobody wants to say that. <laughs> They're all like, no, no, it's all about the feel of the gearbox and the V10 engine and blah, blah, blah. It's not about like, yeah, you know, I really wanted to roll up to the club and have people look at me in this green Skittles car. You know what I mean? People don't admit that. Why can't that. we do that? We I, need to. You know what? I think in the industry-wide, I agree. Why can't we do that? Personally, I do that. Uh, my friend Carl Ruiz, rest his, rest in peace, one of my watch uh, mentors, uh, you know, a chef, very interesting guy, uh, very traveled, very uh, uh, salt of the earth, real real knowledge from doing kind of guy. You know, he was he was the first guy to tell me, you know, a watch is like a sports car that you can bring into the bar with you. Uh, you know, it's like it, it, it's it's your it's your Ferrari or your Porsche or whatever for the rest of the time that you're not driving. You know, it's the same kind of thing. It expresses the same kind of things about you and you would appreciate the same kind of things about it. You know, the things I appreciate about a really well-made watch are very similar to the things that I can appreciate about a really well-made car. 
So I'll tell you a story along those lines, which I think was sort of funny as Americans for us to realize. And you and I live in, in sort of the Southern California, L.A. area. And to have a car, even to have multiple cars, is something that, that a lot of people can do. And then I started traveling, you know, like you. And I remember when I started going to Asia a lot, I started realizing that it wasn't just that watches had the same effect as a car. It was that they necessarily had to replace the car because yeah, in like Singapore and Hong Kong, you can't even have a car. There's no room right. for it. Right, right. Like, and totally. And you talk about in um, really in, you know, urban environments, you know, where the car isn't such a thing, you know, that's, that's the watch can be a, an adequate substitute for the car. I mean, I'll, I'll plead guilty on this, not just in practicing this by wearing various watches, but by <laughs> judging people by what they're wearing. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean judging people in terms of what I think their net worth is and ranking them that way. But if they're wearing an expensive watch, what does that say? If they're wearing an inexpensive but very interesting watch, what does that say? You know, if they're wearing an old watch, what does that say? You know, and and you can do the same kind of kind of uh you know, uh, personality tests with cars, you know, it works the same way. I'm so glad you brought that up. I had this idea last night when I was thinking about our show for, we'll call it a little game. Okay. And you tell me if you think this is fun or not. What we'll do is we'll take a watch, a popular watch, and then you'll think about it and you'll give like the car analog, right? So yeah, for example, yeah. I'll bring yeah. up like the Rolex Submariner. What is what is the car equivalent that, of that? That's actually a hard one. Maybe that's not a good one yeah, to start. That's an easy one. It's Porsche 911. Okay. The Porsche 911. Okay, so yeah. it, it's personality list because it's so generic, even though it's a great item, does everything really well, class leading in a lot of areas. It would be boring if everyone had one, but you should have some experience with one. What would you add to that? Well, I, would, I wouldn't say personality lists. I would say that it is the, the 911 and the Submariner are the, the most common rare goods <laughs> <laughs> you know, out there, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they both are, if you have one in your hand, it feels special. If you realize how many of them there are, it's not so special. It's nice to use. It's nice to own. It holds its value well. And enthusiasts seek to find very subtle bits of nuance to distinguish one from the other. Oh, mine. I mean, the idea that you should pay three times as much for a Submariner because the stupid meters are in front of the feet. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah, the yeah. same thing as being like, oh, well, here's two 1987 911s, but one of them has this one super rare thing that nobody got and whatever. And so it's, and now it's, you know, four times the price, even though if you got in one and then you got in the other one, they'd be, you know, exactly the same car fundamentally. So there's, there's so many uh, popular, uh, 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 and, and, and that's, and that's to add on what, you said not instead of you know okay okay so okay that's that's the rolex that's good and, and sometimes i'll just be a little bit more generic because i'll say like the tech philippe perpetual calendar that could be a bunch of watches but you know there's sort of a personality there. but you get okay. the idea yeah, yeah 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 so what what is the car version of the patek philippe perpetual calendar um you know to me that would be like the mercedes 300 sl gullwing or like the ferrari daytona maybe uh, something that also oh, showy, so very showy, showy, but vintage, uh, and the kind of thing that, that somebody with not just money, but money and taste money. And okay. Okay. So you definitely have to have taste a little bit of culture. Like you don't just like fall into money and, and figure one of those out. Right. And also, yeah. And, and also, uh, you know, a Ferrari Daytona or a 300 SL going like, this is not someone's first collector car. You know, you, you've, been, you've been through a few levels of collector car before you get to something like that. Just like you're through a few levels of watches before you get to paddock perpetual calendars, you know? Okay, here's a, here's a weird one. Here's a weird one. The Swatch System 51, so their automatic watch. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's a watch that is, uh, it's, a, it's a watch of the people, right? Uh, but it involves interesting uses of advanced technology, right? The, isn't the movement part of the case in that watch um well the kind movement of? is made well it's 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 basically made it's not really part of the case but it's made to be mass produced by robots not necessarily designed to be repaired but designed to be very efficient to manufacture but also perform 
respectively? Um, efficient to manufacture. I mean, it's got to be something like a, you know, like the, like the Toyota Camry, you know, okay. it's the kind of thing that, that you don't really think about, uh, because you don't really have to think about it. You know, it's ubiquitous. It's around, it's around and, and it's not, it's the kind of thing maybe you replace rather than repair after right. a certain point. Uh, maybe the Camry is not the right one for that. Um, Ooh, that's a, see, that's a tough one. Uh, that, it's, hard, that one it's hard. That, that one's actually hard. You know, I don't. I hadn't thought about the Swatch System Fifty One. So we talk about traditional technology made in a mass-produced way, uh, and we talk about it being very affordable. I mean, yeah, maybe like the Corolla more so than than the Camry. I, I was know? actually thinking like um, like a Subaru BRZ or yeah the, uh, yeah yeah sure okay that works you know because it's a yeah. little bit more niche right like the Camry is really for everyone like for you to get a System Fifty One you need to like want mechanical but not really care that it isn't like the highest performing mechanics like you want a taste sure. of mechanical yeah BRZ BRZ is a great is a great example of that yeah old tech that engine is ancient. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll give you that one. That's a good one. Okay, okay. What about a Seiko Spring Drive sports watch, like a Spring Drive diver? So a Spring Drive diver would be like the Lexus uh, GSF. Uh, Ooh, a very okay. well-rounded car, very practical, with a lot of subtle enthusiasm thrown in behind it. Uh, you know, I like to, I like to liken my, my Grand Seiko spring drive, uh, which is, a, a it's, if you want me to go super nerd, it's SBGB003, which is a non GMT spring drive chronograph, uh, with a sapphire bezel. Oh, you have that one. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. You know, the first time I saw that watch was in Japan and I did a double take. I was like, I didn't know that one had a non GMT version that kind of was a little, little speedmaster esque. That, right. Which dial color do you have? It's gray or black. It's, it's, gray. No, it's black, black, actually. Yeah. That's black a cool, I'm really the, glad uh, you have that watch. That's a dude, cool watch. I've never seen another one. And and this one, um, this one I got at the Miami Grand Seiko Boutique. And my man Joe Kirk was the salesman Joe there. Kirk. He, Joe Kirk's now like a big deal at Grand Seiko. And he was the salesman there. He sold it to me. And, you know, not only did I love the watch that, you know, the sales experience was so fabulous. I'm now I'm now like a diehard Joe Kirk and Grand Seiko. Uh, Joe fan. Kirk is among the best. He is. Yeah. I, I remember starting to work with him when part of that job, he was at this at this watch um, retailer in Phoenix, Arizona called Arizona Fine Time. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because they did watches and cigars. And I don't know why there still isn't like a store that sells watches and cigars. It was fascinating. And um, he actually got them into these high-end Japanese watches. And he is, in a lot of ways, responsible for there even being Grand Seiko in America. Because he proved to the Japanese there's a market for that. That's is he like, so is he like the, he's like the white guy that plays the ninja in every fucking movie? Is that, <laughs> is that You know what? At Seiko, yeah. They, yeah, literally, probably, they're like, right. "Oh, we have a problem." Send Joe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but he told you know he told me that my watch was was shipped to Miami accidentally and was supposed to be a Japanese market only watch, which he maintains is true. Uh, that you know, is that is actually true. That is true. I would have thought that that was a bullshit sales tactic, but as it turns out, I think that actually was true. Yeah, and I, I've uh, never well, seen one out, outside of Japan. Yeah, well, I have one, and it's it's a very very cool uh, piece. And so I tell people that that's like that Lexus LFA of watches, uh, you know, where they where they are not just building a supercar, but inventing new methods of production, you know, in order to do it and losing um, money on each one, according yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So that's a good. Okay, let's go. Let's go to an HYT. Oh, they're the coolest, aren't they? Those I uh, one day you they know, just went bankrupt. Like, they just went bankrupt. Get out of here. No yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, time well, to buy maybe one. LVMH will, yeah, maybe LVMH will buy them up cheap or something. Bernardo knows stuff, stuff on like rampage. That. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he'll 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 take anything, right? I mean it, no, no. Yeah. He look, I think that 
when when these companies go away, we've seen them like go into hibernation mode and then yeah. go out of hibernation mode. Like it's a cyclical thing. So you know, yeah. if a car company went under, you're like, yeah, DeLorean's not coming back. But yeah, but dude, you know, you know, whose service is an HYT? Like, you know, what do you do with that? Thing? Well, the like, parent company called uh, Pressiflex that developed the technology is still around. So they actually uh-huh. might still be a good acquisition for LVMH. You know, what I mean, like it's actually yeah. the technology and HYT were separated as two companies because they oh. like anticipated this problem happening. Oh, OK. All right. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's one of those watches where if I if I was really going to wear something that was that garish you know it wouldn't be a jacob it would be something like that you know what i mean uh it, it would be something like those the bellows system is like that's awesome you know i really am a fan of when it of really bizarre ways to to display you know, time they developed a technology that has a similar way of indicating the time but for vastly less expensive watches and the, and the idea was they're trying to license it out to like a like a mass market company. I don't know if they ever found a buyer, but they actually have this technology waiting for someone to want. Oh, that'll be. I mean, that'll be. Uh, maybe um, what's his name? Carol from Barrelhand should get some funds together. You know? Oh, Carell. Carell is more of a team. Carell. Yeah, I met that guy. What a genius. Um, okay, wait. Right? To go back. To go back. Okay. Uh, Hyt yeah, so as a car. Hyt as a car is like uh, is like a McLaren P1. Because it completely revolutionized, or, or a Porsche 918 Spider, because it completely changes how power is delivered. You know what I mean? It's just complete. It's a completely new method of thinking of how to make something uh, go really fast. Uh, you know, and 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 uh, it was a very abrupt shift to the hybrid hypercar kind of thing. It's it's so it's for that person that it needs to be around other people that knows the category. Like you need to know watches, and then you can appreciate intellectually that this isn't necessarily an evolutionary improvement, but it's sort of like an, another evolutionary arm. It's sort of like a wonderful what if. Yeah. Or how about this? How about you could look at it as analog time telling taken to the extreme future, right? And so to that end, it would be something like. Um, a Gunther Works Porsche, where you hypothesize what it would be like if Porsche continued to develop air-cooled vehicles for another thirty years. You know, I gotta I mean? look this up. I, I don't even oh, you know, know about, about that Gunther. One. Yeah, you know, you know, no. you know, you know about Singer, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so Singer, Singer's uh, ethos of building cars and restoring cars is: what if you took the best elements? from every single generation of 911 and assembled them with great care and detail into you know one Oh, I get it. Car. I get it. Gunther's uh philosophy is what if you started developing an air-cooled car where Porsche left off. So they start with the 993s which are the 1995 to 98 cars, the end of the air-cooled cars. And they develop a car based on that that's like a futuristic air-cooled car. And they're bananas. I have a, bunch, all, of, awesome. I have a bunch of videos of driving. I, I, I have a uh, – um, I've always wondered, are those practical as a daily drive? Well, can they be driven every day? I mean, it, it, yes, it could be driven every day. Uh, a singer could certainly be driven every day because they, believe it or not, are a little milder on the tune than the Gunther cars. Uh, The Gunther cars could be driven every day, if not for the fact that they're quite loud uh, and the clutch (laughs) is kind of heavy. So it depends on, you know, your tolerance for, you know, the weight of a clutch and the boom of a 450 horsepower, you know, air cooled um, engine, uh, which is (laughs) an incredibly effective weapon. But, you know, I, I, when I took one for the, for the, they would brag about it, you know, they would say, you know, yeah, do a track day and then drive home and then drive to dinner and then drive to the office. And you, and I just go, guys, this car is like 700 grand. Your customer has a different car for each one of those activities. You don't yeah. need to brag about this, you know, but, you know, well, they're excited. They're excited. Right, and considering the the fact that they have built a 25-year-old car 
that does actually perform as well, if not better, than a brand new GT3 911, you know, you're going to have to make some accommodations. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so that's, I totally agree with you for that watch. Let's move in a different direction. The Cartier Santos for men. Right. The first sports watch, right? Strapped to... Uh, first uh, any Al- wristwatch for men. First wristwatch, right? So so to that end, you know, what what is the first sports car? And I would say the first real sports car would be the Mercer Raceabout. And that is from about the same time period as the first Cartier Santos. Okay, and so it, so you really see the classic element in there as well. And I, I I was also thinking like a watch that is undeniably connected to watch history, but serves yeah. very well as sort of like a mature men's sort of everyday quasi dressy. Also, yeah. could be casual. You know what I mean? Like, is that a Mercedes E Class? You know what I mean? Okay, I would say that could be the Mercedes SL 500. Okay, so a little, uh, definitely with the sex appeal to it. The SL, the SL, a little bit of, little bit of style, but I'm not really aggressive. I'm just here to lounge. I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, my my friend Carl, my friend Chef Carl used to tell me that that you should always, as a man, when you're trying to meet women. You should wear a square watch because because really? round round watches make women feel think of fat people and square watches make women think of thin people, which is sounds crass and cruel to say, but it, I actually think there is some truth to it. I guess it's sort of like the thing where if you have a bigger body shape, you want to wear the square watch, but if you're maybe yeah. more like more like limber and thin, you maybe want to like wear the round one to make yourself look bigger. Right. Carl was chubby. So, and I'm chubby. So we were coming, he was coming from that place and I related. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, overweight. I lost a lot of weight in high school. So like, I, I totally understand. It's like, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta work with what you got. And if your yeah. watch helps out, why not? Watch is all I got, bro. My fashion <laughs> budget, my fashion budget includes watches and about two grand a year on New Balances. That's my entire. That's bucket. a lot of New Balances. That's, that's yeah, but I wear a lot of New Balances. I wear. I, mean, I, have look, new, I have a New Balance for work. I have a New Balance for going out, and I have New Balance for the gym. And I have a bad back, and I so I get those three pairs of shoes three times a year, and that adds up when you're buying New Balance. I, I, I actually I have a lot of shoes as well. I like I don't I never want to admit how many shoes I travel with. Like I, I get made fun of. Because I wear like five, I'll bring like five pairs of shoes and I'll stuff them really? in places. I, it's like watches. Can you travel with just one watch? I can't you do know, it. You know, I got to tell you, mentally, it is very hard for me to travel with one watch. Um, but it seems limiting, artificially limiting. It, like why would the right. world do that to me? But unless I am traveling to somewhere where I have incredible trust with leaving my things behind – you know, not only do I not uh, carry multiple watches that, where one could be stolen out of my bag or something like that, uh, I, I when I travel, I pretty much don't take my watch off my wrist even when I sleep. It's a weird when I'm on the when I'm at home, it's not a problem, you know. And and if I'm traveling, you know, going to stay at my parents' house or something, it's a different story. But but I pretty much pick a watch for the trip. And I and I make do, but it is it is challenging that I stare at the box, going, well, which one's it going to be? For way longer than I think about any other item that's going. That's going I used to go trip. overboard. See, I I didn't have the discipline to make the choice in advance of my trip, so yeah. I would bring. I used to bring like twenty watches to Basel World, like stupid well, stuff like to that. Basel, well, you're going to Basel World, so it's like a thing. I, you know, that's a different. That I, I might give you a pass for that, but if you were just going. You know, if you were going on a vacation to a nice place, you know, let's just let's just say you were going on days? a vacation to uh, for a week to oh. a luxury uh, uh, destination uh, on a, on a, in some somewhere tropical. How many watches? Seven, you bring? seven, seven watches. Seven. Because <laughs> I've done this multiple times. I remember I went. I went to the Bahamas um, and I actually have a watch coming out that I designed in the Bahamas, which is really, really nice. It's going to be in oh, May. Oh, that's cool. You designed but, what, like the dial? 
Yeah, like a, like a like a brand, um, you know, like a, like a major Ooh. brand. I work with them. It's really nice. Ooh, it's sitting cool. in front of me right now. It is. I, anyways, it's it's. I, I developed a formula. Let me explain this. I developed a formula. I was like, if I was going to design a watch, I'm going to develop a formula because I believe that this formula will result in something which is attractive looking and emotionally satisfying. And then I oh, applied okay. the elements to this formula. And this is the first watch that was a result of this formula. And I was like, wow, this came out well. So now if other people agree, uh, what's interesting about this watch is that it's going to be sold through the traditional retailers that sell this watch. We're not having anything to do with the sale of it. I don't want to sell watches. I, I have no interest in that. I'm not a retailer. So I want, do I want to be a creative director of some watches? Yes, I'm ready for that after you know having done this for nearly 15 years. But I am not interested in getting into the, the, the watch game. But anyways, going back to the Bahamas, on that trip, I specifically remember having trouble getting it down to seven watches. A lot <laughs> That's of trouble. amazing. That's amazing. Seven watch to get it under seven, seven in the Bahamas is is crazy. I, you know, um, that's that the way I wear watches on a day to day basis. I tend to wear one for a couple days anyway because all my watches are pretty versatile. And so with the rare exceptions, I, I put one on, I wear it for a couple of days anyway. So I'm pretty used to it. So if the trip isn't more than three or four days, it's not like, it's not a big deal. But if it's somewhere far away with like different activities and outfits, it's tough to pick one, but I usually, I usually just roll. I usually just roll with it and pick one and live with the consequences of my choices. <laughs> I just, I can't do that. And here, under, I mean, you can appreciate this, right? Especially <clears throat> with cars, because there's certain places and, and things you want to do with cars. So for right. me, I like to swim and I have all these dive watches. I'm really into dive watches. I like as a nerd be like, I'm really curious what this looks like underwater. Is this good to swim with? How's this going to feel on the wrist? And so I have to like wear test all these things that for like the longest time I've wondered what they feel like. Because you know how like certain dive watches really look different underwater? It's a different type of aesthetic. Sure. Yes. Uh, I, I do know what you mean. Um, but I just I I don't think about it that deeply. I think about I think about cars that deeply. You know what you're talking about. You know. Yeah, which I hope, uh, I hope you do. Yeah, I think about cars that deeply. I think about watches a little bit more superficially than that. But I do. Uh, the, all I, I only own watches that I either really enjoy wearing or that were gifts. You know, for sentimental gifts from from mainly my father, um, and so anything else that I don't enjoy, you know, it goes. So uh, I and I do try and wear all different kinds of watches in all different kinds of situations. I, I happen to own several watches that you would put in the most versatile watches on the planet category. So it's not hard to grab one of those few and go on a trip and not, and not feel like I don't have the right watch for whatever outfit I need to put on. Also, I dress like shit. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I dress terribly. In a high so, bar there. so I, I don't really, you know, it's not we like could, I've got look, We could go shopping. <laughs> I mean, I, here's the thing, like, like dressing up uh, well, it's this exercise and really looking at yourself and admitting to yourself what what do I look good in what do I not look good in. That's oh no, for starts. sure. And all I, and I know how to do it. I have you. All you need is tailored jeans. And for me, right, I need the right color t shirt, tailored jeans, my, the right jacket of which I own four or five of the quote right jackets and, and and the right watch and then the right hat. That's it. And that's not that hard. I got that. Yeah, so it's like but a in formula. general, but just in general. I, I don't, yeah, I'm not like, you know, Farnsworth Bentley, you know, kind of dressing. So, um, I, it's, it's not most of my, also, by the way, sidebar, I'm like super colorblind. So I can really? pretty much, yeah. So I can pretty much throw a dart in my closet and hit an outfit that'll work because I've arranged my closet that way. So I can't, I can't really mess up. How does that affect you being a watch guy? Cause watches are so much about appreciating like tiny nuances and colors. You know, I don't know what it's like to not be colorblind. But, good point. But, good point. But I will say that I, uh, my, I have a lot of appreciation, the same way I do with photography and art, of bold, maximalist, contrasty colors. So one of my favorite watches of the last year was like that Mido decompression timer thing because it okay. was so colorful and fun. You know, I really like that. I had a, I had a IWC 
like big pilot perpetual in like orange you know i like that i love the i love the um the seiko um what do you call it pogue the yellow dial pogue you know because it's so right. uh big and bold um and so yeah i i i do like color i just uh, I you don't want me matching your outfit up for you, is all. <laughs> okay, so let's think about more car watch combinations because there's just so many fun ones to do. Um, what about you know we said the Rolex Submariner. What about the Omega Speedmaster? Um, the Speedmaster is that's a, a good one. one. Uh, you know, let's see. I mean, obviously, I think it's like a Corvette. Uh, a really? vintage cor- okay. yeah, a Corvette like the a Corvette like the astronauts were driving back in the day. Classic Corvette, late sixties. Looks great. Um, That's really- right before the Stingray, right? That's right before the Stingray came out. No, that that would be Stingray. Yeah, okay, Stingray. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I love? What I love about the Speedmaster is I love how the dial of it looks kind of like it's like chalk lines on a chalkboard almost um, okay it has a very academic quality to it that's really nice i i actually am a hezolite i'm pro hezolite on the speedmaster i'm pro pro manual wind on the speedmaster i actually think you should basically buy the cheapest manual wind speedmaster because they're <laughs> the way the ones that are really expensive aren't really worth it all right <laughs> um, hear me out hear me out i told omega this a couple of years ago they clearly didn't listen to me because if you look at the price of what the entry level Speedmaster is now it's like five six thousand dollars or something like that. I think it's like close to six thousand dollars now. And I said to them, I was like, okay, in order to really get a hedge on the entry level market, you should always have the Speedmaster Moonwash Professional, like you said, has a light manually wound at about three thousand bucks. You will get so much inbound watch people like yeah. when they're becoming watch lovers to get you because you're affordably priced, they will aspire to get more, but you'll have Omegas and like so many people just yeah. keep it affordable. But what they've done is again, a completely different idea, but I, I, I really feel that would have been so smart for them. What do you think? I think it probably would be very smart. And I think a used Speedmaster at that price you're talking about for anybody listening is a fabulous value. Yeah. And the thing, this is what's good about a, a Speedmaster is that, it, it really kind of looks good on a guy of any age, any shape, any tone. It has such yeah. a universal feel. You can wear it when you're like 18 and thinking you're cool. And then like you could be 60 and put it back on and it'll still suit you really well. And there's literally almost no difference from more than three feet away of a $60,000 Speedmaster or a $6,000 Speedmaster. Yeah. Like, there's basically no difference. Um but no, I and what like with a car, the old Corvette. I think it's kind of like there. It's 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 got a, it's got a lot of great things going for it, but there's sort of like a one yeah but. And for me, the yeah but is the lack of water resistance, which I think stinks. Yeah. Um, and in the Corvette, the yeah but is it's not water resistance. It's uh, it's that it's built like total garbage. Um, but, I, I wish the Corvette was made better. Well, the old the, ones, the, the new Corvettes are made fine. Um, but they have always, a Corvette has always been positioned as a value proposition compared to European stuff. Uh, tell, me, so, t- tell me this, tell me what happens. I, I rented with a buddy of mine on the Watch team a couple of years ago, the new Corvette. He just wanted to rent one. And we drove it around the Angeles National Forest, and we overheated the transmission constantly. Did we just have a bad car, or is that a thing? Now, did you rent it from where? Where'd he rented it, it from? to be honest. I don't remember. I don't remember. Did he rent it, it from, my- like, an individual on Turo, or did he rent it from, like, Enterprise? Uh, it was definitely, like, a rental company, I think. Okay. Rental companies buy the cheapest, shittiest, most base model Corvettes. The fact that you overheated the gearbox is not the least bit shocking. The really? slightly more sportier versions, one of the most basic things they come with are trans and differential coolers. They, why do they even make one that doesn't have it? So they can say that this car costs under 60000 new because that's, they that's, want that. They want that, but that number. But that, that guy, here's the thing. The guy who's scraping to get a Corvette is the one that deserves the best experience. Yeah, but listen – 
It's not the guy who's people don't buy base Corvettes really. Rental car companies buy base Corvettes and they buy a lot more of them than regular people do. I look, it's it's a perfect explanation, but that's the thing about American cars. Like, if you don't do your homework, you could get a car that you could overheat by not really pushing it that hard. Bro, I it's not you that's not entirely unique to American cars. I mean it it really I wouldn't necessarily say with overheating, but I would say that there are plenty of other ways that European car makers, I wouldn't say Japanese, so well, yeah, Japanese. So every car maker is going to find a way to make money out of you. Some people do it by nickel and diming. Some people by do it by volume selling these crappy base models to rental car companies. You know, it's all different stuff. And, and, Base model Corvettes typically kind of suck, you know, but they can be really nice because they pretty much the way Corvettes go is the engineers build the best car that they can build. That is called the Z51 package. They then, the accountants then decontent those cars until they get to whatever price point, you know, the, the CEO. Why, why does GM cars. have the most powerful accountants anywhere? How, how did that work out? <laughs> Uh, set in their ways. That's there. They are set in their it's ways. Like, their system like worked well for years. a long time. Look, they sell a lot of Corvettes. <laughs> Do you ever compare um, like watch industry groups to GM? I, I sometimes will like compare strategies of the Swatch Group or Richemont, not always in a bad way, but to GM. Uh, Do you ever? Do you ever make those like analogs? Not really, because I don't have. I I, I don't spend all that much time reading uh like industry type stuff you know i oh, read good. about the Stay new watches that come out i try to you know my father was my father was the chairman of the board of tiffany until like a month ago and oh. organized the sale of tiffany to lvmh i have and a tiffany so, on my desk right now actually sick um my dad has uh basically uh the very last tiffany dial 5711 ever made Oh, wow. That's a special was, watch for sure. Yeah, he got it as, uh, I mean, he bought it, but it was as a as a retirement gift to himself. And then they he they discontinued the 5711 about, about a month later and uh, none more were delivered to the, to the boutique and he got the very last one. I actually was like, even before I started uh, a blog to watch, I was like a little bit of a Tiffany watch collector. So I have like a few like weird models. I'm, I'm totally into that. I, uh, my, my pops has gotten more into watches, um, uh, for me actually, you know, for my enthusiasm for it, just as he's gotten more into cars, uh, from my enthusiasm, but he's my dad, my dad's got some cool ones. He's got, you know, he's got some interesting stuff, although he only really ever wears his old Submariner, no date. What, okay. What about a German Zinn watch? Like pretty much any model. What would you compare that to in the car world? Zinn, uh, you know, that's real. That's real German engineering. Don't they do a lot of material science over there? They yeah, they got some re- like really scratch resistant materials. They use submarine steel. They 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 definitely got some good materials over there. That's got to be Mercedes AMG. You know, they really do a lot of interesting material science in their engines. They have a lot of very interesting mm-hmm. powertrain tech. They um they have a really interesting um system of painting. They're very expensive cars, and I and then they're very proudly German about all of it. I want to ask another question because to, you and I have something in common where at least part of what we do is being professional reviewers. How did you get into reviewing? Very organically. You know, I was always a fan uh, of car magazines. And then when I started watching, you know, Top Gear on like the torrent sites, you know, when you could first do that, I became a fan of Top Gear and and Jeremy Clarkson and um, and and and. And when I, uh, I, I was, when I was running a car wash with my friend, Larry. And when YouTube came out, we started making videos to promote, uh, our business. And, uh, I very quickly was just discovered by somebody who was looking for talent on YouTube. And, and they saw me talking about cars and hired me to make a show about cars um, and it, it's the kind of thing that would never happen again. I mean, it literally would never happen again. This was 2007. 
Um, right. the, the very first year YouTube was really a, a full year of business. And so, um, you know, that evolved, uh, talking about cars into people letting me drive their stuff and us, you know, starting to film it. And so YouTube was my vehicle. And then I, uh, and then I used that to get writing gigs. And so now I, I make YouTube videos, but I also write for road and track, which is great because that's the, you know, that's the magazine I grew up reading. So it's, it's really nice to, to have my name on the masthead of, of that. So that's actually interesting because I also grew up reading car magazines. And the funny thing is I used to, I, I laugh about it now. It seemed plausible back then, but I was reading car magazines way before I was like able to drive. Yeah, um, me too. <clears throat> and, car magazines wonder, were like, was what I got me into cars like long before I could drive. Yeah, easily. And, and I think it's interesting. There's a culture that is not shared in all cultures you grew up of this sort of way of reviewing a car where there was this sort of honesty about it, where there was definitely good cars and bad cars, right. where there was a way of being humorous about it and sort of like everyday man elitist. Like you don't have to be a rich man to make fun of like a bad, you know, a bad car. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, you know, it was a way of like connecting. And I go to Switzerland, for example, and I recognize like they didn't have this culture of growing up reading reviews. Like it's very much a time and a place thing. You know, I think the UK has it. Japan has it. America has it. This yeah. car review culture that Without it, I don't think there would have been a watch review culture. Well, in 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 the in the countries where cars aren't just transportation, but really integral to their culture, um, that's where you find the car reviewing culture. And and the the U.S., Japan, and England are your three real heavy hitters in that regard. Um, and so. Uh, you know, the, the, the reviewing culture for sure of watches definitely dates, uh, or definitely, owes or, or descends from, uh, car reviews for sure. Um, and I, I'm, I'm so happy that I get to write car reviews and actually be honest. Um, you know, I think there, I think there was a real heyday of great car reviewing in the, in the eighties with some of the yeah. real heavy hitters. And then it kind of lulled out for a little while and it really came back in sort of the post Top Gear era. And now now that like like, you know, we all thought these magazines were all going to die, but a couple of them are rebranding and re reformatting as thicker, glossier, you know, every other month, like paperback coffee table type of deals. Um, and that is really satisfying because I'd much rather have a higher quality product that I get a little less often. And with that higher quality product, you get room on the page for the writers and the photographers to breathe a little bit. And that's just a, it's just a great, it's a great environment to work for a book that has, you know, that really has that in mind uh, in production, that they're producing this sort of beautiful final product. It's, it's just a really nice thing. I think what's really great about the the automotive journalism space is there's real legitimate companies with power and budgets and things like that that allow the journalists such as yourself in that space to have, you know, really excellent opportunities. The watch space, there are no major well-funded, you know, uh, media operations. I mean, we, you know, Blog to watch yeah. is a John small company. John Mayer's got to pay for Hodinkee. Or something. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it's it's an interesting thing. And so we have a watch industry which has actually been very hostile to the uh, the actual existence of a of a formal watch media, and it has basically you know starved it. And, and you know just out of sheer performance, we we make it because we have such such an audience. But it's 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 not it's by all means an uphill battle, and for little guys can't do it in the car industry. My question is, are they more supportive of there being an active and thriving um, car media industry, even if they don't say things that uh, are, are great to hear all the time? Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, there's there's with the exception of Tesla, which is like actively hostile towards the media. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some of the companies are a little more difficult to work with than others. But but fundamentally, um as long as you are a serious person producing a serious program or a serious, and I don't mean serious, like you're not having fun. I just mean like 
it's not your hobby. You're a real, you know, you're a, you're a journalist, you're a producer, you're, you're not just a whoever, you know, you're someone with a real audience and, and you're really, you're really doing the thing you're supposed to do. You know, I think that the, 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 the manufacturers are pretty good to us. I mean, it's not, I don't take any money from any OEMs. I couldn't, that would be really, I think kind of unethical. Um, not that other people don't, but I don't. Um, but, but I, I borrow cars, you know, every single week I'm driving a new car from a different manufacturer. I have a BMW M4 right now. I get a Ferrari A12 next week. I have a, uh, I have, I had the new, um, the Bronco sport last week and, and I've got a motorcycle Ducati that I have on loan right now that I'm, that I'm testing. And so, you know, I borrow these, these bikes and these cars from the manufacturers I review and them fun. and then I give them back. And so, so y- y- yeah, I mean, it's an, it's a necessity for the job, right? You know, you got, you, I'm not going to can't review the car without driving the damn thing, uh, revi- riding it or whatever, but you know, it's also, it's also a perk. So there are a lot of people who see me borrowing a $300,000 car for the week for purposes of review yeah, you know, that there's obviously a value to that. You know, you could go to one of these companies and it would probably cost you ten thousand dollars to rent that car for that long. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a perk. it's a perk of the job that, you know. But I'll tell you what, every once in a while the four hundred thousand dollar car sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not that happens. It can it can happen. The good news is when you're reviewing product. As long as you're, you can, with cars anyway, you can be critical as long as you're fair. If you can't, you don't want to get in a car, any car and go, well, this thing is just a piece of shit. You, you know, you, you go, you have to go, the brakes feel like mush. The, you know, the, there's noises coming from the suspension. You know, if you make specific points about things that are not good about the car, well, okay. Maybe they, maybe someone might want to discuss the merits of those points with you later, but it's, if you at least were specific about the things that you didn't like, typically the person who's in charge of putting the journalist or the YouTuber or whoever into that car is not the person who designed it. <laughs> so you know, you know what I say to my team? I say that you have to be able to write a review and not include a single adjective in there. Meaning you have to be able to explain everything. Adjectives are cheap, easy ways of expressing an emotion. Don't do that. Don't express any emotion. Just express what it is that you you experienced. And that's what it is. I find, and again, maybe I'm just going around here, but too much quote-unquote reviewers have reviews just full of adjectives and emotion without really explaining anything enough. And I think this is an epidemic of probably laziness because they can get away with it. But you know, if you are a consumer, avoid that. Look for things that have the least amount of adjectives possible. And, and like like Matt just said, allow people to explain their experience so that you know what's going on. Don't just, you know, if someone just uses an expletive to explain something, that's that's uncultured. And, and, and Matt, tell me if you agree with me, but as a good reviewer, what your job is, is to sort of promote um, cultured p- politeness. You have to be able to say what you think, but you need to say it in a way where even the people you're talking about are like, Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think I'm a nice person. I, I definitely use bad words, but, but, but I back up what I'm saying. Um, and I have a lot of experience and I don't, I, I don't, um, you know, nothing. It's not like you, you can't find any, evidence of me being biased against any manufacturer. Almost every manufacturer makes good product and not so great product. Almost all of them. And there's very, there's very few companies that make exclusively excellent product. Very few, even, even very expensive cars. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, a lot of companies in China are making exclusively awful cars right now, but, yeah. oh boy. Oh boy. but, uh, but, but aside from that, yeah, no, that most, and, and even every, almost every car, no matter how expensive, almost every car, there's something to criticize. If you are Absolutely. in, if you're in the business of criticizing cars. <laughs> and, and here's the thing those, those critiques, they, they are quirks that give these automobiles personality and that personality allows us to have fun with them. And you know what? they help make cars better because a lot of these folks 
the, the, the most rewarding part of my job is when they fix this stuff later. And I, you can't always take direct credit for it. But if I said something and a bunch of other people say, you know, what I've, what I've found to be so interesting about, and I don't know if this is the same with watches, but in cars, you know, you'd really think that the person or team that designed the latest supercar would have gone out and driven all the other supercars. And they ha- <laughs> no, they haven't. Never, and they never. haven't. And they haven't. No. And, and they lean on and they lean on people like me to drive early development cars, you know, and they go, okay, how does it compare to this? And how does the steering compare to this? And what do you and because they literally don't know. Yeah. You know, they they don't know. And 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 you go, well, how is that even possible? And then you go, well, it is. They have less, sometimes they have less money and resources than you think. And so, um, and the brands can't... are are defensive. They're defensive about that. Like they don't want the the competition to really drive their stuff. They want to make it as difficult as possible. Yes, and certain certain brands are a lot more defensive than others. Um, and but it's and 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 in general, though, once you are established as a professional that can speak their mind but ex- but back up their statements that can drive that can drive fast but drive responsibly that doesn't break cars you know then you know the 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 world is your oyster as far as getting cars then now now oh you you're now you've gotten cars how do i earn a living is a whole different story because a whole, whole different podcast whole different podcast um, okay, so is Tesla like the smartwatch? Is that the analog? Yeah, that's like, your that's your, Apple watch? that's your Apple Watch. Yeah, that's your Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah. And is that is that a good or a bad thing? There's room for it in the world. Yeah, it's neither. It's an appliance. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure, but based on how phones work, I don't think there will be any nostalgia at all for the Apple Watch One. You know what I mean? The best Apple Watch is like the best iPhone. It's just the the, the recent one. one. It's the an iterative one. thing, right? Okay, so so here's a question: Is the car appliance going to take over cars? Just like is the watch appliance going to take over watches? I I, I don't know the answer to that. Well, the car appliance already has taken over cars in case you have missed anything that's just uh, most of them are gasoline not electric but the car apply you know we 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 have there are there used to be a lot more sporty coupes at all price points and luxury coupes at all price points and two-door suvs and convertible suvs and mid-sized, small, I compact want a trans- convertible SUV. I there, want a convertible SUV. There used SUV. to be a lot more different types of cars. Now and then the we have. Happened. Well, yeah. Now we've got eggs. <laughs> we've got eggs on big rims, crossovers, right? And we've got a, more mid-engine, twin-turbo supercars than ever. So, so the the and the manual transmission is gone. And gone. there's very few enthusiast cars you know if you've got if you're making you know the sweet spot salary you know let's say you're making 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a year and I, I don't want to sound I do not want to sound condescending to people who make less than fifty thousand dollars a year right but but I, let's just call that a sweet spot salary 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a year where you might be thinking about buying an enthusiast car of some type there are not a lot of options for you. And so you can get a Miata. I didn't say there are no options. There are not a lot of options. Few, the, very the, few. The Miata will will live on with the cockroaches, you know. But, <laughs> but no, I no, I, I love Miatas, and there there will always be Miatas, and and Miatas are more expensive than you think if you're buying them new. But but uh, but there are far fewer options than there were in the past, and so so to your point, uh, I think what the Apple Watch is doing. Is it's eating the? It's not. It's not affecting the top, right? You know, the real horology fans are. They're still buying the dope shit, and the dope shit's getting doper, right? There, there are more watches than ever before that cost over a hundred thousand dollars. You know, new, right? Those guys are selling. 
because it's it's easier, right? There's there's these guys out there, enough of them who can drop a hundred grand on a watch like it's not that big of a deal. Well, that's but, what's happening with cars too. I just drove the Bugatti yeah. Chiron, which is four million dollars. It's up to four million dollars now. Four wow. million dollars, and people go and someone, you know, the commenters on the video was like, "Well, I would I would rather buy this, and I would rather buy this." And the people buying Bugattis are not – they don't think that way. It's not or. It's only and. And so – Yeah, these are, these are like people are like, it's only best for me. Like, yes. It's, so, you know, these are people that just – they're – they've told themselves that to celebrate who they who they believe they need to be, it's only the best. So they're not as much of like a car person as they are like domineering, powerful, you know – whatever they want to call themselves. Yeah. And I look, I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to say that people who buy Bugattis aren't car enthusiasts because I know a couple of people who own Bugattis and I would say that they are car enthusiasts, but, but I would you say You have that, to be with that thing. You also can't drive it. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but, uh, but in general, you know, it's just, it's not beyond a certain price point. They're selling the same shit to the same couple thousand people is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So that consolidation of ultra luxury stuff at the top, is and there's the and then there's also some some really nice entry level stuff at the bottom, but it's the middle is kind of being eaten out. You know the 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 mall the fashion watches are kind of getting killed by the Apple Watch. You know, I I just I worry about the future of driving, and it's sort of like you should, you should. Yeah, it's I mean, in jeopardy. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, what's the best argument we have for, oh, don't worry, there'll still be drivers out there. Because I look at, like, equestrian stuff on, like, combustion cars took over, like, horse carriages. And the whole equestrian thing just completely went out. It became, like, a luxury thing. And I'm like, is there just going to be, like, weirdos out there? Like, oh, you're into manually driving your car? Well, go over to the track, like the stables, and have a have a fun afternoon. Like, is it going to be well, just, like, a weird, no, look, a weird hobby? There is zero chance and I mean zero, that gasoline cars will be legislated off the roads entirely in our lifetimes. Oh, no way. You're totally right. It's totally not, there's no chance. There's no chance. It's like, 100, not, it's like 80 years from now or something. Right. Some not not only would it be uh, an undue burden on the, the poor who couldn't afford an electric vehicle, it would be an undue burden on fucking almost everybody. But, but uh, that, that won't happen. But, but, um, but I would say that you should be concerned about a the push, uh, the, the 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 pervasive feeling that autonomous vehicles are coming are inevitable. You know what I mean, and yeah. and that any uh, death or accidents in the pursuit of studying autonomous vehicles or uh, like. With Tesla's extremely scammy full self-driving thing on public roads, you know that's an extremely cynical way of trying to sell a technology that is incredibly half-baked and should not be offered to the general public at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds about it. One, I love driving, and I think that being a driver is such a good part of like the human personality. It's like it's a great skill to have. But at the same time, especially living in LA. I'm like, would I would I prefer that most other cars on the road were robots? Probably. Well, you know, you say that. That's it's that sounds good when you say it, but it's it's not necessarily good because unless all of them were robots, it's a really messy transition. Because Maybe. yeah, I have it, no it, idea. Because because driving a is way harder than most people think it is. And humans, B, are way better at driving than they give each other credit for, despite the number of accidents that happen. We're just very easily distracted. We are very good at driving when we actually pay attention to driving in our train. It's kind of amazing. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And part a big part of driving is nonverbal communication with other humans who are driving. And there is no way presently for a autonomously driven vehicle to communicate non-verbally with a human driver Interesting. and or vice versa. You know, you, you shoot someone a fucking evil glare at a light, you know, oncoming stop sign, or you, you, you give them the wave, right? Right. Come on. You first come on. You know, these are non-verbal communications. Like 
We need that. Driving is dependent on that. And so unless cars can communicate with each other without us being involved at all, car to car, uh, it's going to be messy as hell. Real messy. Real messy. I, I agree. I agree. So let's let's bring it back to watches and just sure. we're, we're, we're sort of at the end here. And we have, to have, we have to have more conversations here. Um, I, I I need to review a car with you. I think that's what we need to do. We need to sure. go review a car together because I know Can that you, you do that as a team, right? You do that sometimes? Yeah, yeah, I can do it with you. I do with Zach uh, a lot, my 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 producer and co-host Zach Clapman, who I'm trying to get into watches. I just I've, I I I don't know if I've gotten him into watches. I've I've gotten him to watches that I think are pretty nice, and we're trying to get him into it a little more. I think he's coming around. There's a ritual you can do. It's a little satanic, but it works really well. Right. You stab the hand. You draw the blood. I, I've been there. Yeah. yeah it works. And then he's, but then he's addicted for life and he might create right. a monster. You don't want that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so right now on the horizon, um, just given sort of the last year we've had to do, we've had to endure a lot. I think everyone agrees collectively that there's going to be a big celebration moment. Once people get out of the pandemic, everyone's going to be like, while right. we can live again. And, and it's going to be a lot of it's going to be pent up aggression that we want to celebrate. But also there's going to be a lot of stuff to celebrate. Celebratory environments are where, you know, a lot of the best watch buying happens. And then there's going to be a lot of investment and things like that, which is hopefully good. Where would you like to see the watch industry go in terms of product development um, and things like that? Like, what do you want to see come on the market that you might want to buy? Right now, uh, you know, well, that's a tough question. In product development, I have – you know what? I, I saw <laughs> I, I saw an article somewhere where someone made a Sprite GMT, and that shit okay. was dope. That shit was like, dope. Like the colors? <laughs> like the colors, like the Sprite colors on a GMT okay. bezel. Like like a green and like a lighter green? It was a green and like a yellow, and it was, yeah, okay. fi- it was fire. And uh, I don't so know – That's so funny. I designed a watch with those colors, but I never thought of it as Sprite. I thought it was fucking fire, man. I was so about that. Um, I really like, I mean, I think bright, bright, fun colors. You know, I think the fact that I have been calling everybody trying to get my hands on a yellow dial OP41 and nobody's selling. Nobody's selling. You'll you'll get get one. You'll get one. Get some ADs. Hit me up. Let's go. Instant sale. Uh, Easy. Um, So I've been trying to get, get one of those. I really, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get some color in my life. Um, one of the things that makes me really happy for this year is these guys in Turkey that I, uh, that I buy straps from and cases called mm-hmm. Bosphorus leather. Oh, I know um, those guys. Yeah, you yeah. know those guys? So, yeah. so they were making these straps and then they stopped making straps to focus on cases. Well, about every six months I would hound them. <laughs> Just, I'd hound them. When are you guys going to make straps again? When are you guys going to make straps again? And like a couple months ago, they started making straps and so they they were so nice. They sent me like ten straps, and I just love these straps from Turkey. I rock them on almost everything, and um, and I'm happy that they're making you straps like, again. You like you like straps? You like designing straps? I do on on certain watches on my Seikos. I I, I fuck with the straps on all my big face stuff. Like uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bremont ambassador. Um, so I have a Bremont, uh, world time and a Bremont, uh, MB two. And I put those on the straps I'm, and I'm really into those. Uh, they're fun. Bremonts are fun to swap around on different straps. I told they you are, right. they're very, they're very cool watches. I like Bremont a lot because they're, they've got the luxury tool watch thing, uh, yeah. going on and, yeah. and the world time, especially, I really like my world time. It's a neat uh, watch. Them. Yeah. Yeah. They're a cool company. They're really nice people. I like working with them a lot. I like wearing their watches and I've been having fun with the custom Seikos. I have, I have four custom Seiko turtles, uh, you know, different, different crystals, different, uh, uh, bezels and different, different hands and fake aging. And, and it's fun. It's the one I'm wearing, I'm wearing one right now. I'm wearing a, a King turtle with fake aged hands and loom and a date date wheel with a ceramic, huh. uh, coin edge bezel and a top hat crystal. And it's on an Erica's originals, uh, MN strap. And it's fabulous. I love it. You're not- have to send me a picture of that. I, I have to see what you're. Th- I, I know. I know the watch. I just. It's interesting to see how it was modified. I actually bought a a modified Seiko not too long ago. It was one. It was. It's an older one. Um, do you know Dragon Shroud? Yeah. 
So it's a it's a fishbone dial. Oh, cool! That's awesome. Yeah, it's like kind of like the super like early '90s color. It's it's a '90s it's a '90s watch. That's fun. That's really cool. Yeah, the modified it's, it's, Seikos are fun. I mean, they're you know in the world in a world of very you know when the Rolexes and the APs and all that kind of stuff. That's like buying cars. You know, the Seikos are almost like buying you know, motorcycles or collecting bicycles or something like that. You know, you can, you, they're, they're relatively affordable. So you can, you can kind of, kind of, kind of collect a bunch of them and, and it's a relatively low investment, you know, to modify them in different ways. And they look cool. Like I straight up, like I interchange Seikos with Rolex and Bremont and AP like all the time, straight faced, you know, and, and they're on equal footing to me really. Okay, we could we we definitely have to do another show because there's so much to talk about this, and uh, I have actually have a strap idea for you. But everyone, this has been Matt Farah of the Smoking Tire. We talked about cars and watches, and it sounds like we're going to talk more about it. Thank you so much for listening to Superlative, and Matt, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. It was great. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit blog2watch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? 